Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am so grateful that I get to be here with you as your host today. Especially we have an interview. I love them all, but I really love this one with Elrena Evans, who is an author. She's a beautiful author, and she's just come out with a new book called Special Grace, or it comes out April 12th, but you can pre-order it right now if you go into the show notes. So this is a book on prayers and reflections for families with special needs. But I also want to encourage you, if you know someone with special needs or you have someone with special needs or are someone with special needs, yes, this book is for you. But also, if you're just someone who's in need of special grace today, which is most of us, this book is for you as well. And this conversation is for you. So I love the conversations where we get little golden nuggets of wisdom sprinkled in with getting to know a new friend and a wonderful personality, which is what this interview is. So I hope you enjoy this. There's also some special news from my personal life in here that I haven't shared with the podcast yet. So listen in for that and enjoy this interview with Elrena Evans. So Elrena, I am thrilled, honestly, to get to talk to you because your book was so unique and so needed in this time. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored that and blessed that you asked me. Yeah. Where are you right now? Because people, when I have people on, don't know how old people are or where they're coming from in the world. So where are you right now? I live in Pennsylvania. Do you know how old I am? I'm 43. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it gives people a reference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's me. I'm 43 years old. I live in Pennsylvania with my husband and our five kids. And it's just starting to feel like spring here today. So that was yeah. my little blessing when I went out for my walk this morning. It was like, oh, oh, spring is coming again. Mm -hmm. Is it very dark and cloudy or do you get some some sun? February in Pennsylvania is a difficult month because we don't see the sun a lot and it's just endless gray and gray and gray yeah. and right about the end I'm like I can't do this anymore. And then spring comes. And then spring comes and our youngest son was born at the end of February. Okay. So I tell him all the time like you are the light mm -hmm. at the end of the month. You made the whole month of February better. So <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And are all five of your kids you had or are any of them adopted? They are all, I'm very careful with wording here, but no, none of them are adopted. They are all my biological, my husband's yes. and my biological children. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit. I would love to jump into your story and then I want to talk about your book because I love it. But so people know what your background is writing this book. What is a little bit of you and your family's story? So like I said, my husband and I have five kids and they are all, the word that I use in the book is quirky. They're all a little quirky. So I think when, let me back up. So when people think about 
my family as a quote unquote special needs family. They tend to think of my middle son and he is in many ways the focus of the book. He's the one that I write about. I think that he did not get his diagnosis as early as he possibly could have in part because my children are quirky. No one in my family is at the middle of the bell curve. So when we had him evaluated, the psychologist that we worked with, who was wonderful, said, I don't think you realize how different he is because you're comparing him to your other children who are also pretty quirky. But my other children, sometimes I say, like, they can pass for typical, like most of the time. Yeah. My middle son, as I write in the book, kind of flipped the script on that one a little bit. So we went from a private Christian school that we dearly loved. He was asked to leave. And then that led to his evaluation and diagnosis. And round about that time, so I'm an Episcopalian. So written prayers are a part of my faith tradition. And I remember looking at a book of prayers that I had and thinking, Where's the prayer for this? Mm. Where's the prayer for a diagnosis? Where's the prayer for special education? Where are these prayers? I think that that question was on my mind. I can tell you the moment that I started writing the book, the exact moment. Mm. It was the night before back to school when my middle son was going into first grade at his new school. And when people... Parents of children with special needs often talk about having to find their people after their child receives a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I did not have to find my people. My people were already all in my life Mm. to the point that I think we would look at each other and be like, isn't it amazing that we were all, that we were friends before we knew that we needed to be friends in this way, right? So that whole week, it was the day before back to school and that whole week had just been emails from my friends like, pray for this, pray for that, pray for this. And obviously, there's so much to pray for when your kids are heading into a new school year. But these were very specific requests. Like, I'm concerned that my child is not going to be able to open the locker, Mm -hmm. right? Or one of my friends has a son who is nonverbal, and he's not going to be able to tell me about his day and was starting with a new aide. And so I just had all of these things in my mind, and I was sort of praying through them as I was, you know, getting the backpacks and finding the shoes and making sure everyone has matching socks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought, we need a prayer. We need a prayer for this day. We need a blessing Yeah, for our first day of school. And I sat down on the stairs in my house because it just came to me all of a sudden. And I sat down on the stairs Mm -hmm. and I just started writing. So I wrote this blessing for the first day of school and I sent it to all of my friends. Wow. And the response that I got was pretty overwhelming, just people writing back and saying, thank you so much for this. It's become a tradition. I send it out on the first day of school to this group of friends every year. Wow. And my one friend told me she's not a crier. I'm a crier. I cry all the time. She's not a crier. (laughs) And she wrote back and said, this one made me cry. (laughs) So in many ways, that was the beginning of the book because I wrote that prayer and then I decided Let's write some of these other prayers. Let's write the prayer for the therapist. Let's write the prayer for being on hold with your insurance company. Let's write the prayer for 
And then all of these things that don't impact my life personally, but let's write a Thanksgiving for a new mobility device. Mm -hmm. Let's write a prayer thanking God for American Sign Language and for Braille and all of these aspects that affect our lives with disability. So did you, were you a writer before? Yes. Because your writing is beautiful. Oh, thank you. So I'm like, either this is just, you know, I mean, you could totally say Holy Spirit, just, you know, drop this in. But it, it seems like you have the gift of writing as well. What what came before this in writing? So I have been writing. Well, I jokingly say I was probably a writer before I could talk just <laughs> the way I see the world, I think. Yeah. But I, so I went to school, I double majored in English and Russian. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, oh my gosh, wait, can you say something to us in Russian? Oh, no. Let's see. That's probably, I think, I think the last word is I forget everything. <laughs> I do have, I do have a funny story. I don't know if this is a good time to tell yes, it. Yes, please. I can tell this. So InterVarsity Press, my publisher, made a book trailer for Special Grace. And as part of that book trailer, we had it interpreted in American Sign Language. So, which I am so excited about because it makes it more accessible, right? We have it both closed captioned and ASL interpreted. I took American Sign Language for a year in college and a year in grad school because I love languages, because I'm a dancer, mm-hmm. because I love movement, but also because I had a recurring dream when I was in college and in grad school that I had a child with a disability. Wow. And sometimes... I dreamed that I had a child who was deaf. And sometimes I dreamed that I had a child who had Down syndrome. So I was preparing in some ways to possibly have a child with a disability. Now, my son does not have either of those things, but I did get two years of American Sign Language out of hmm. this preparing that I was doing. That's fascinating. Yeah. When I look back on that, I, I, I see so many ways that God was preparing me to have this baby Mm-hmm. years and years and years. I mean, before I even met my husband, I feel like God was preparing me. Like yeah. on, on really hard days, I think about that. And I think, you know, God has this. God was preparing. Mm-hmm. God knows what he's doing, even though it doesn't always feel like it. Yeah. But anyway, so as part of the interpretation for the video, I got to meet with someone from the Deaf Bible Society to try and find an interpreter. And the man that I was speaking with spoke in sign language, and then we had an interpreter. Mm -hmm. And I saw the sign, and it started coming back to me, like little bits and pieces. And it reminded me when I was in college, I was taking Russian and sign language at the same time. And the language center of your brain is the language center of your brain, right? So every now and then in my Russian class, I would sign something. Oh, I took Spanish and French and I called it Spinch. Right? It's the exact same thing. And every now and then in my sign language classes, which toward the end of the year were mostly silent, I would like blurt something out in Russian instead of doing the <laughs> sign. So when the gentleman from the Deaf Bible Society asked me what my name sign was, I caught myself like a fraction, but I almost answered in Russian. And then I was like, this guy's going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> Who is this woman? So, yes. How did we get on that? Oh, I was talking about being a writer. So I majored in English and Russian. And then I went to grad school for creative writing. Mm. So I have an MFA in creative writing. And then I've been writing ever since. It's taken kind of 
you know, it's been a very non-traditional career path. So I did an essay anthology that was published in 2008 about balancing motherhood with an academic career. Wow. Because that was sort of on, on the one hand where I was in my life. And then on the other hand, like I was in my 20s the whole time I was working <laughs> on this book. I look back at it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you were a baby. <sighs> I actually met someone at a writer's retreat once we were talking for a while and then she's like, wait a minute. I realized where I know your name. You wrote mama PhD. And I was like, yes, I did. She's like, oh my gosh, how old were you when you wrote that book? <laughs> I was a baby, but that's beside the point. So yes. And then I, I write a lot of personal essays. I've written for the mudroom. I've written for literary mama. I had a column there for quite a while. And I work, I've worked for American Bible society and evangelicals for social action, and then Christianity Today. They used to have a women's blog called Hermeneutics, and I was one of the founding contributing writers who wrote for that blog. So yes, for Hermeneutics I, for Hermeneutics, yeah. Wow, which was more like it was a play on words, like Hermeneutics. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it wasn't quite... For people who don't know what that is, will you give us a definition? Right, and oh my goodness, no, I don't know if I can pull it out. Studying like the meanings of stuff in the Bible. Is that what it was? Yes. Well, so that's what the word hermeneutics means. The blog was really more just a women's blog and they thought that it was cool because it had the word her in it. Oh, okay. But yes, so I've been a writer. Yeah, that has been my career. That's what I do. And I'm trying to think when I really started writing about my son It's hard because I think this is the gift that God has given me, at least at this place in my life. Mm -hmm. I find it a very difficult gift because I am an intensely private person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So to be given this gift that really involves sharing so much of my story and so much of my heart is very difficult. Yeah. My friends will tell you that I'm always saying, like, why couldn't I have been an accountant? I am really good with numbers. I really am. I could have done this. Why is that not my gift? But my gift seems to be the sharing and the telling of these very personal stories. And yeah, it is so hard for me. But I keep on both because I want to be obedient to what I think God is calling me to do. And also when I hear back from readers... And they say, Mm -hmm. I felt seen, I felt heard, I felt comforted, I felt God's presence. Okay, I will keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know. God doesn't always call us to places of comfort, I don't think. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever had anyone criticize you for what you've written? Yes. Because I have, and it takes – likewise, it is very hard for me. It's like putting all of your – closest things to your heart out for people to just lambast if they want to. Yes. Yes. I've had people specifically criticize my parenting, Wow, which is difficult to have someone who has never met me and doesn't know my children and read a thousand word essay to be like, you're a terrible parent. This is why. That's hard. And they just write an email? Yeah. And at a couple of points, public comments on – it's one of the reasons that I kind of pulled back a little bit. I stopped writing for Christianity Today. I'm not on social media. Mm -hmm. And part of that is just because 
my heart can't take it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm maybe again, maybe at a different phase in my life. And I know people always say don't read the comments. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like you see some by accident, even at not trying. Right. And I just don't have the self-control. <laughs> <laughs> maybe when I'm older. You want to see what people have said. And sometimes you see you want to see things like when I was writing for more public places, I wanted to see the comments so I could respond to people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people said things that were really nice and really encouraging. But there are definitely some people out there who struggle with kindness. (laughs) Hmm. I find that hard. Yeah, that's just so interesting because, I mean, you already have – most people would not argue that you were given a hard lot with having quirky children to parent in general, then much less to share those experiences. And then, I mean, I would think most families of special needs children struggle with thinking they're good parents anyway. And then to have other people's opinion, being able to be given freely to you would be very difficult to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I wanted to write about in the book is that overwhelming insecurity that we feel as parents of kids with special needs and to just always feel like we're not doing enough, we're not giving enough, we should be doing more. What is the more that we should be doing? As I wait for the book to be published, I have been going through and I'm reading the entire book out loud as like a spiritual discipline and praying all the prayers and it's really helping. And I have a friend, I was reading part of the book to her, and we had just been talking about something that I was frustrated with myself with. And I just, you get in this place of God, why can't I just do this? Why can't I just be better at this? And then I was reading some of the prayers to her. And so many of the prayers are about that exact topic. Hmm coming from a perspective really of comfort. And I could kind of feel her looking at me and I just stopped reading. And I was like, yeah, I can dish it out. I just can't take it. (laughs) I can encourage other people. Sometimes it's hard to receive that encouragement myself, but I'm hoping. It's good that you're reading it to yourself then. I think it is. I write at one point in the book, parenting children with special needs can just feel so isolating. And I want readers to know we are not alone. We have a God who sees us, and many of us have other people who are with us on this journey, who are praying these things for us. And even those who don't, I'm praying these prayers for people that I've never met and never will meet. Mm. We're really not alone. So I'm hoping that's something that people can take away when they read the book. Absolutely. So talking about your parenting, I think there's one part that I was like, that's great parenting. When (laughs) in your book, you talk about the conversation with your son about doing a do-over, and I don't know if that was an idea that just came to you, but I thought that was a really interesting concept because I was thinking, man, does God give us do-overs? Like, Is it a metaphor? Will you explain how that came about and and what a do-over is? Sure, sure. So that the concept of the do-over, and I tell the story in the book, but it was born one day when my son was just totally out of control, and I don't remember the order of things now, but it was like, he made a giant mess out of something and I was cleaning that up. And then he like got dish soap and poured it all over the kitchen floor. And then I got him settled and I was cleaning that up. And then he started dumping all the spices 
in the kitchen and I was cleaning that up. And then he went and he was squirting out shaving cream in the bathroom. And he just, you know, this uncontrollable energy and I can't get it directed in a good place to keep him occupied. And then really the last straw for me was he took the shovel that we have next to our fireplace and he got a spoonful, a shovel full of ashes and just starts like shaking them all over the living room. And I'm like, stop, just stop. Just can you please stop? And it actually, it wasn't that moment. I was still holding it together, but I was cleaning that up and I see him running through the house with a little sippy cup that's upside down. It doesn't have a valve in it and it's pouring water all over the place. And it was that point that I was like, can you just stop, stop? You have got to stop. I can't. And he started crying and I realized, oh, this this was not deliberate, right? Like whatever is going on in his brain that is causing him to just run through the house wreaking havoc on everything is not what is causing this. He didn't realize that the cup was upside down. He didn't mm-hmm. realize he was dumping water. And I made him feel that. I hurt him. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. I feel like that a lot when I'm parenting. I don't know what to do, but I thought we need a do-over. We just need to like do this over. We need to do it again. And I proposed the idea to him. I said, we need a do-over. Can you take your cup and walk backwards down the stairs? And he was, okay. Because anytime I can get him thinking a new idea or a new thought, if I can get him Mm -hmm. to sort of latch on to that, I can usually reach him. So I'm like, here, see if you can walk backwards down the stairs. And I made rewinding noises like I was talking backwards. So I'm like, and he's walking back down the stairs. And I'm like, okay, turn your cup upside down and, he, and dump the water again. Come back up the stairs. And he did. And I said, okay, this is a do-over. So I'm going to say, oh, buddy, I don't know if you noticed your cup is upside down. You're dripping water. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And he turns it right side up. So we did the same thing. We just had a do-over. We did it over again. Hmm. And that became a pretty good concept, I guess, for us, not just for him, but for me in situations where I'm like, you know what? This this is bad. We're just going to – I had a friend tell me once. She's like, send everybody back to bed. Like, physically get back in your beds. <laughs> pretend you're getting up again. Start the whole day over. Like, we just need a do-over. Yeah. And I think that – it's helpful because it allows our brains to sort of reset, to get out of this place where we're stuck and to think differently. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest challenges my son has is to get his brain unstuck and to be able to think differently. So I think the do-over helps us with that. And I think God gives us abundant do-overs. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the verse that says his mercies are new every morning. Yeah. Every single day is a new opportunity. I was thinking about that's why he made new days. Right? Exactly. Every single day is a new opportunity with new challenges, yes, but also new hopes and new joys and new chances to be God's hands and feet here on the earth. My gosh, can you imagine if you had a bad day and it just never ends? I'm thinking, oh, this is so bad. I did read Twilight way back in the day. You know, when like vampires don't sleep. (laughs) I'm like, that would just be awful. Like you're just having a bad day and it just keeps going. You know, sometimes you just need to like go to bed and start over. Yes, I am a huge fan of go to bed, reset. We will try this all again. 
the other verse, like weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm -hmm. I think there is so much truth in the Bible in terms of our physical bodies Mm -hmm. that sometimes we don't see or I didn't see as a child. Like weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Sounds pretty. You could put it on a coffee mug. But there's so much truth too. Like let your brain sleep, let yourself reset and then do it over again and the next day. Yeah. No, I love that. I've never thought of that verse like that, but I've been really processing over the past few months the whole idea of how Gnosticism worked its way into the church and how we just believe that the spirit is better and it's the mind and our bodies don't matter. And that's just not in the Bible. It's not there. Yeah, maybe in my quiet times now, I'm going to start looking and seeing if there are more correlations to that, because I bet there are way more than we realize that are truly like, no, this is like a physical thing. I wonder if Proverbs has some. I bet it does. Probably. And there's a lot in the Psalms, too. David tends to write a lot about his physical body, how Mm -hmm. his eyes feel, how his, right? I can talk about this forever because I'm a dancer. I've danced my whole life, so... I can get down that rabbit hole quite a ways. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about all this and our bodies and our limitations, because we talk about that a lot on this podcast, I want to know what God has taught you about your own limitations as a mom, right? I mean, so I actually haven't shared this on the podcast yet, but by the time this airs, I'll probably be out of my first trimester. So they don't know that I'm pregnant yet. So I am pregnant and I'm thinking about being the mom of one (laughs) child and losing that amount of sleep and then much less five children, much less for them to have special needs. So I imagine you have to face your human limitations on a daily basis. So like, what has God taught you about yourself? What has he taught you about him through both your limitations and the limitations of your kids? That's a great question. And I was thinking about that before we got on this call. And I was thinking of a conversation I had once with a good friend of mine. I was frustrated with myself about something or other. I'm often frustrated with myself about something or other. (laughs) I don't remember the specifics, but I was saying like, why can't I just get this right? Why can't I just be perfect? And I remember her saying, because if you were perfect, you would not leave any room for God. Mm. And it just, it was one of those moments where your brain just switches and goes, oh, Mm. I had not thought of that before. Because I really think it's sometimes in our limitations, our imperfections, although I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that's quite the right word, where there is space for God to do his work. Yeah. Strength made perfect in our weakness, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And one of the places, I can't remember if it was this question or another question you asked that made me think. One of the places that I see my limitations opening the way for God to work in my life is through relationships. I was doing an interview for the book, I guess last month. I can't remember when it was now. And we were talking about different things about the book. And I said, this book really owes its existence to relationships. I have been hugely blessed to have really good friends in my life who are Christians, who are walking this path with me. And I think in my limitations, I see places where God can show his love through others, Mm -hmm. through things that I can't do in places where there just isn't enough of me, where I am imperfect and weak. I see God's love, 
God's hands and feet on the earth in the relationships that I have with others. So when my son first received his diagnosis, it was, and I'm sure this is true for everyone, it was just a a turning point, right? Like a defining moment in your life. There's a before and there's an after for this point. And I was having a really hard time specifically at that point with processing that he would not be allowed to go to the Christian school Mm. where we had him enrolled. And I, that had been such a huge priority for me and to have him ask to leave was really hard. And I remember talking to a friend and she was saying, you just, you have to have hope. You have to have hope that God is going to work this out for his will. You have to have hope. And I remember saying to her, I can't, I can't have hope right now. I just feel so leveled and so hopeless. And I'll never forget this. She said, then I will hold your hope for you until you are strong enough to hold it again. And I loved it because it made me think, Emily Dickinson has a poem called Hope is the Thing with Feathers, Mm. where she talks about, she personifies hope as a little bird. And when my friend said that she would hold my hope for me, I imagined like a little bird, like almost as if hope is a tangible thing and I can't care for it right now. This is my limitation, Mm -hmm. but I can give it to someone who loves me and someone who will be God's hands and feet and hold my hope for me and care for it. And it was such a powerful image. And I remember thinking at so many points, like, I feel hopeless. Yes, but my friend has my hope. Hmm. And she and God are holding this for me and they are tending it for me and keeping it safe until I'm strong enough to hold it again. And Hmm. that was a really tangible way. I felt like through my own limitations, I got to see God's work and experience God's love in a way that I otherwise would not have. Hmm. That's so beautiful. It just, it makes me think, because I've been thinking a lot recently about hope, because sometimes getting our hopes up is just like preparing for us to get even more disappointed sometimes, you know? And so I was actually recently <laughs> reading a book. I read varying topics, but this one was about one of the the snipers in the fight against ISIS. Fascinating book. But he has a quote in there from The Mountain's that was something, I'm not going to get it perfect, to the effect of if you lose hope, you can find it again. But if you give up hope, everything is lost. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But so I'm I'm in your situation, you know, is that like you, you lost hope kind of and your friend's holding it and you can still find it again? You know, because even in the darkest times, don't we still have hope? It's just... We almost, it's like too painful to acknowledge it or something. Yes. And I think that's exactly what my friend did for me because you would feel the hope. I I know exactly what you mean. It's like the hope itself is too painful to acknowledge, Hmm. but the thought that somebody else had it and was taking care of it for me, it was just really powerful. Yeah. I'm going to have to think on that more, but thank you. It's really unique. Yeah. Okay. Changing a little bit. Have you heard of the book Every Moment Holy? Oh, yes. Yes. Have you read it? So this is, you're actually the second person who's asked me that question. So I know one of the creators of that book through a friend. Okay. Ned Bustard, who did the illustrations, yeah. is a friend of a friend. Yeah. Wow. 
I have not read the book because at the point that it came out, I was already working on Special Grace. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I am very influenced sometimes by what I read. Mm-hmm. The example that I give, the Shopaholic series. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Sophie Kinsella writes these books about a shopaholic and they're cotton candy, right? It's like reading cotton candy. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's fluff. (laughs) Reading cotton candy. It's like reading cotton candy. But they're fun. And I had a friend who was reading them. So I read all these books. And I remember once sitting down to write something and I had written like a paragraph and I stopped and looked at it and went, Oh my goodness. Like, I'm writing chiclet. I'm writing a shopaholic <laughs> book. What is this? So because because I know that I can be so influenced by what I take in, when I am heavily writing, I will sometimes step away from especially people who are writing things that are similar to what I write. Mm-hmm. But every single friend I have, I feel like, has read Every Moment Holy. So I have it. Do you know there's a second one now? Yes, I know there's a second one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Maybe when Special Grace is published, I'll treat myself and like sit down and read the whole two books. That would be lovely. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that it seems maybe the Holy Spirit, you know, I think sometimes is like prompts a lot of people to write on a certain topic. And I feel like, you know, even the fact that you said, well, I was actually already writing this, you know, when that came out is that the Holy Spirit was prompting, hey, we need more prayers. Would you call a written prayer as a liturgical prayer? Is that a correct way of saying that? Oh, what a fascinating question. I think, yes, you could call written prayers liturgical prayers. Is there a difference? I don't know. So in the Book of Common Prayer, the prayers are called the Collects. I write about this in my book. It's from the Latin okay. collecta, which basically means the people together. So the collects are the prayers of the people together. But now you've got me wondering, are all – my hunch is not all written prayers are liturgical prayers. Liturgical prayers seem to me to maybe belong to a smaller category of prayers designed specifically for use in the liturgy. Okay. But I don't know the answer to that question. So now I'm wondering, would my prayers be considered liturgical prayers or would they not? I don't want to use the terms interchangeably, but I mean, I grew up in the Protestant, like mostly non-denominational tradition. So this is fairly new for me, this resurgence of this. So I, I was just asking because I just want to call it the right thing. Right. Yeah. I think written prayers, liturgical prayers, I think you could say either. And that was actually something when I was working on the book. I have a very good group of friends. We have a little writer's group, and they have seen the book in all of its various forms and drafts. And they were telling me at the beginning, like, you might have to explain a little bit mm-hmm. why written prayers, because even though that's a huge part of my faith tradition, yeah, it's not a part of everyone's faith tradition. And so it raises the question, why do we need written prayer? Yeah. I think that written prayers can be helpful... In two primary ways. I think that they can be helpful in moments when we're stuck. We don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. We don't have the words. And there are a lot of prayers in Special Grace that are prayers for moments of frustration, for when we feel overwhelmed, for places like that where we often find ourselves just going, God, Mm -hmm. and not having the words. I think being given the words sometimes can help. It can help to pray those words. It can spur you on then to find your own words. Mm -hmm. But I also think that written prayers help sometimes because they help us see things in a different light or think of something in a way 
that we wouldn't have. You had a question about the Book of Common Prayer, and that's one of the things that I love about the Book of Common Prayer is Mm -hmm. there are prayers in there that I just would not have thought of. And it gives me a different way to pray to God. It gives me a different framing, if you will, for that conversation. And then the Book of Common Prayer is just, I think, beautiful. Some of the phrases... There's a line about the vast expanse of interstellar space. And I just, I love that. I Mm -hmm. love to think of God, like writing big, Mm -hmm. the galaxies, speaking them into existence. I think that there's beauty in written prayers that can be nourishing to us when we read them. Yeah. So tell me as someone who did not grow up with this, like I'm fascinated by it. I like it. And yet at the same time, I think I struggle to remember like, okay, I'm going to get special grace and you know, what do you do? You put it on your coffee table and you just remember like, hey, I have a substitute teacher today. I'm going to pull out the book and read the prayer for a substitute teacher. You know, like, I'm just like, is this something you just grew up and you're like, hey, I'm going to sit down and read the book of common prayer right now. Or like, what does that look like? How would you suggest people do it? I mean, read straight through it. I mean, is it up to the person? That is such a great question. And I think that my answer is kind of yes. Like, (laughs) All of those things could work. Yeah. Special Grace definitely has a narrative arc through the stories that I tell in the book. It ha- it has a chronological sort of beginning, middle, end. Mm-hmm. The stories in the book take place in order, which as a writer, it was all sorts of, because I had different stories that I wanted to tell, but I wanted there to be a narrative arc mm-hmm. and ended up telling some things sort of in memory or in flashbacks so that I could preserve that beginning, middle, end. I think people can pick it up and flip through it, though, especially if you're just reading the prayers. Mm -hmm. And again, I have to give credit to a friend. When I was done with the book, I had a friend read a draft and she said pretty much what you're saying. I love this. I'm not going to remember, oh, we have a substitute teacher today. Let's go pick up the book. So her suggestion was, InterVarsity Press ended up doing this. At the end of the book, there's a list Mm -hmm. of all the prayers. There's just a list. So if you're facing something in your life, you could pick it up and even just thumb through, read all the titles, right? Mm -hmm. See, uh, in that way, I think of it a little bit like a concordance. I'm going to out myself as a super nerd here, but Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved the concordance growing up. Like as a little kid, I would just sit there and read it oh, how many times does it say this word in the Bible? And I mm-hmm. liked the really big exhaustive concordance. <laughs> I mean, that's just it's just a cool name anyway. And I think of prayer books, especially if they have a list of prayers or a topical index or something like that in a similar way. I'm feeling frustrated. Let me pick this up and flip through this list of prayers. Oh, there's a prayer for frustration. Let me go read that mm-hmm. and see if that sort of helps me connect with God where I am right now. Yeah, it's interesting take this or leave it because so many people give me ideas and I'm like, that's really overwhelming, even though it's a good idea. But I was just sitting there thinking, I wonder if you made a a podcast or like, I'm thinking something auditory because I'm also thinking about Every Moment Holy, which I've read. And I know like there's some, I didn't read the first one, but there's, you know, one for diaper changing or something. But I'm like, you know, when I'm changing my baby's diaper, I'm not going to like pull out this book and like, if that's not hard enough as it is, like, I'm just going to sit here and try to follow this prayer while I'm changing the diaper. But I wonder if I would play it if they were just like short little things like blurbs somehow recorded auditorily. And maybe that's just my generation thinking about it auditorily. But 
I feel like maybe that would be a way that I would play. Like, okay, we're going to school and you have so many different prayers that they're I, I think you have one for like an IEP meeting. Is that right? I think I have three for IEP meetings. Yes. Okay. So I was I was actually a Spanish teacher. So I was on the other side of those meetings. And so I actually think your book would be really interesting for teachers mm-hmm. to read as well. I think that would be really beautiful. But, you know, like, okay, we have this meeting today. So I'm just going to play this for myself on the way to the meeting or something. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking... I love how God is is bringing these written prayers back into the church. And even the church I go to is just, we're, I would not say we're like traditional or any, most people would probably call it progressive, although I'm very careful with that word because now I've been looking at what progressive actually is. But, you know, we're doing Lent and stuff like that. So just bringing back some of those traditions at the same time. And I'm like, how can we use those amazing traditions because they're in the church for a reason. I think they're super helpful, but also like, what does that mean for this day and age? Mm -hmm. You know, I love that idea to do something in an audio format, both for the reasons you said, and also because as a question of accessibility, yeah, anytime we can get something into a different format, it's going to be more accessible to more people. So I think that's a great suggestion. And I also think your prayer for diaper changes, I think you're right. You're not (laughs) going to change the baby with one hand and hold the book with another hand. But when you're changing the diaper, you might think, oh, hey, there was a prayer for diaper changes. And even if you don't remember that prayer, maybe it will bring you to the moment Mm -hmm. with a different focus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So my, it's not even my generation. Every moment holy, right? Isn't that the whole like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your prayer is like, oh, there's a prayer for, you know, when my child has a public scene. And no, I'm not going to bring out the book when my child's having a public scene. But I'm going to think about that and be like, hey, maybe there's a special grace in this moment. And I'll read that later. Right. Maybe? Exactly. I think, yeah. So this isn't even my generation. This is probably more my parents' generation. But practicing the presence of God which was written by a monk named Brother Lawrence. And he wrote about praying while washing dishes. Mm -hmm. And just like, I don't remember exactly what he said, but having that thought in my mind, like maybe I come to this moment as a moment of prayer. I do, I'm just going to be very honest here. I do not come to washing dishes with a holy moment of Mm -hmm. prayer attitude. This is, this is a growth opportunity for me, but just, I think it puts the thought into our head, this could be a holy moment. Mm. This could be a place to connect with God. And we don't, the places where we connect with God, sometimes our church, sometimes it's through the Bible, sometimes it's whatever, but sometimes it's through a diaper change, a public meltdown, yeah, soaking the casserole pan, <laughs> right? So I, I, that's one of my hopes that this book will speak into that every moment holy to use the title again mm-hmm. and help us to bring all of these different situations and places to God. Yeah. And I mean, taking your title, right? It's like every moment, a special grace kind of thing, Yes, you know, because we just like, oh, we love that verse of like, thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient for me. But you're not really thinking about that when you go back to the story of your son, you know, throwing every single thing in the house. So in these, did these prayers come out of places that Maybe were they places that you felt like you made a mistake or were they places that you just felt like, no, there is a special grace here or was it just 
all over just as the Holy Spirit like gave you an idea for each one? I think a lot of the prayers I wrote intentionally thinking what does the community of special needs parents need in this moment? Mm -hmm. Where is God's comfort? Where is God's light? Where is God's grace? So a lot of the prayers were intentionally written from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Some of the prayers literally just came out of me. I can think of one in particular, a prayer for a loved one who is out of control. Mm. I wrote in the moment as something was happening. Mm. So that is, some of the prayers are so, I keep hearing the word visceral a lot. Johnny Erickson Tata used that in the foreword. And I said, yes, some of them really are from the gut because I wrote them Mm -hmm. in media res. Like while this was happening, just realizing I need this prayer. This is going to go in the book and writing it. There's one prayer in the book I wrote at Thanksgiving for an EpiPen. That's I had that listed as one of the most unique <laughs> ones I saw. I have a good friend who almost, she has a son with severe allergies and she almost lost him. Wow. It's a very, yeah, harrowing story and didn't have an EpiPen on her at the time and a stranger had an EpiPen. And so, yeah. And that story is what motivated me to write that prayer. And I wrote it. I do not have a child with allergies. So I wrote it and I sent it to her and I said, what do you think? And she was like, interesting. Yeah, this doesn't quite capture. Right. So, and she's, she's a writer. So we, that's probably the prayer that went through the most drafts Mm -hmm. to get it, to get it just right. And one of the questions you asked was, what are some of the joys of, parenting children with special needs. Mm. And I had two things. I had two answers that I thought of. The first is, I think that I'm wired to see beauty in unexpected places, Mm. but I shared it with someone during an earlier interview and I've written about it elsewhere. When my son was younger, I remember one morning he was going out to the bus stop and all of a sudden he comes running back and he's like, mom, mom, come quick, come quick. And, you know, as a special needs mom, you're trained. You hear that, you drop everything, you go running. I dropped everything. I went running. I said, what What happened? What do you need? Mm-hmm. And he's pointing to my neighbor's driveway. And he's like, look, look. And I'm like, it's a driveway. Like, I'm not seeing whatever you're seeing here, buddy. <laughs> and he was like, look at the light and the dark. Look how beautiful it is. And it had rained the night before and the driveway was partially dry. So there were patterns of light and dark where the driveway was damp or dry. Hmm. And he's looking at it going, this is beautiful. Wow. And I remember standing there with him and thinking, I'm a beauty hunter. I see beauty in a lot of unexpected places. I would not have seen this. Mm-hmm. I would have missed this. And standing here with you looking at the patterns of light and dark, yeah. I see it. I see the beauty. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the joys. And the other joy for me is that being a parent of a child with special needs welcomes you into the community of parents who have children with special needs. And there is so much joy and so much beauty and so much grace that I have seen, that I have gotten to experience, that I don't know if I would have Hmm. if I wasn't the parent of a child with special needs. I was thinking... I was at a conference on disability ministry a few years ago, I guess shortly before the pandemic. And as a part of the opening welcome, they had a group of dancers, children who had special needs, who were in a dance company, Mm -hmm. come and perform for us. 
and obviously I'm a dancer myself, so that's going to hit close to home to begin with. But just sitting there in the audience and seeing these children who anyone would say, you know, have these limitations, but what they created was so beautiful and so moving and just getting to look behind the curtain sometimes Mm -hmm. and see all of the beauty and all of the grace that is here. That has been a huge joy of being a parent of a child with special needs. Yeah. Oh, I love what you say because I think it relates even to just the broader spectrum of limitation that so often people will say, but I wouldn't have seen this grace. I wouldn't have seen this community had I not, you know, had this devastating accident that changed my body. And it's not like you want to be like, wow, I'm, you know, I would never have wished it to happen another way. Like sometimes, yes, but sometimes you really would wish that you didn't have to go through that, you know? Yes. But at the same time, it's just so beautiful what God does. And that brings me to another question I wanted to make sure that I asked you, which is sometimes I feel like we we spiritualize pain mm-hmm. a bit. And it's interesting because this podcast is like all about asking questions about pain and like, you know, doing all of these things. And yet I want to be careful that I'm not trying to, yeah, spiritualize something that, that shouldn't be or something that just really sucks that I'm putting, you know, a nice, a nicety over it. Cause I think Christians do that sometimes. And so trying to play both, cause in there you have a prayer for when we try to spiritualize disability. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how that has played out in, in your family and in your life. And then like, what, what's the better way forward in that? I think that, I think that that's an excellent question. I think that it's frustrating sometimes as the parent of a child with special needs to hear things like, oh, you're such an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I think what I wrote in the book is sometimes we don't want to be an inspiration. Mm -hmm. We just want to be normal. Or in the case I would say of pain, we just want to stop hurting. Right. And I think that God sits with us in our pain. I will freely admit, I do not understand how to reconcile a loving God with the problem of human suffering. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I don't know that we're going to understand that this side of heaven. But I absolutely believe that God sits with us in our pain and that God allows us to feel the full spectrum of human emotions, that God is not ever going to gloss over and try to say, no, this doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. That God is saying, yeah, this sucks. I mean, maybe God doesn't say that, but, maybe. <laughs> but that God is saying, right? Maybe God is saying, yeah, this sucks. And I am so sorry that you are going through this and where I get tripped up is then, well, then God, why don't you fix it? And I think that that's the, Mm -hmm. my brother is a pastor and I probably ask him this question. I don't know, at least once a month. So why doesn't God just fix it? And then he's like, okay, go read all these theologians that I've (laughs) told you to read before and then come back and we'll have this conversation. But I think that the danger when we spiritualize disability or pain is that we make it, this holy thing that either draws us closer to God or reveals something about God. And both of those things can be absolutely true, Mm -hmm. but they are happening in tandem with pain hurts. Yeah. This sucks. And I think that a more hopeful, a more compassionate understanding is to be able to see both of those at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yes, totally. I It makes me wonder if we can almost be led to arrogance in that. Of, And I think I do see this. I want to be careful in how I say this, but, you know, there are some movements even within the disability community that I see where it's just like we want to celebrate so much the difference that I'm like, yeah, but if there's something that could help their lives be a little bit better, like this is still really hard for them, you know, and like to celebrate and say there's like this is just the best thing ever. Well, like what if the child is suffering in a little way that could be fixed that we're not addressing because we're just saying that it's such a gift. Yeah, I think that that is a question that a lot of people within the disability community wrestle with. It's a tension, I guess, because there's it's both. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I remember, so I wrote about, I wrote a piece about my son for Princeton Theological Seminary's The Thread. Hmm. That's a, like a magazine that they were putting out at one point. And I wrote about people asking me, why don't you just take your son to a healing service? Why don't you just take him and get him healed? Mm. Because it's that easy, right? You drive up to the healing service and you order, <laughs> I would like an extra large healing. Like, So first Johnny of all- Johnny has some stories about that in her books. Right? I love her story. Yeah. She has a wonderful story that she shares about going to a healing service. Yeah. And then how they were taking all the people in wheelchairs out first. Mm-hmm. And she she said something about, I don't want to misquote her, but as if they knew, as if they had prepared for us not to get healed and just Mm -hmm. what that moment was like for her. She has wonderful things that she says about different types of healing, as you were saying. But I remember thinking, first of all, I don't think of healing as like a drive up service. (laughs) And, you know, an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Right? It's not like McDonald's. You're just going to drive through and order the type of healing you want. But the other thing that I wrestle with sometimes is I am not sure. And again, I speak only for myself. I would never presume to speak for the limitations and challenges of another family or another child. I am not sure that my son needs to be, quote unquote, healed. Mm -hmm. He is different. Mm Mm-hmm. He has struggles and challenges because of that. But there also is such tremendous beauty and insight in the way that he sees the world. Mm -hmm. So what I wrote for Princeton Theological Seminary is this tension of trying to figure out how much does he need to change or be changed to adapt to the world? Mm. And how much does the world need to change or be changed in order to accept him? Yeah. So I think that there is a lot of tension there. Mm -hmm. And I also think that I'm probably, I'm not a theologian, so I'm probably not qualified to speak to. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there, John Swinton comes to mind and Bill Gaventa, who are doing a lot of work at this intersection of disability and theology that I find wonderfully thought-provoking and good to read in the moments where you're not in crisis, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have to have enough headspace to be able to process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like same thing with pain. I'm like, you know, but when I was in my worst pain, I wasn't about to pick up a book on the theology of pain, right? Right. But it is super helpful. I'm hoping that special grace can be that comfort. That is that accessible. Yeah. 
I'm hoping that is that is my prayer for the book is that the people I wrote it for will be comforted, will be encouraged, will feel supported, will feel God's presence when they read mm-hmm. the book. Are you so excited about it coming out? <laughs> I am alternating between being so excited and being so nervous. <laughs> yeah. It's hard because I'm just so private, but reading through the book has been an excellent preparation for me to sort Mm -hmm. of send it out into the world and then getting to hear the stories of some of my early readers Mm -hmm. and seeing how the book has blessed and touched them and then seeing ways that things I have written are being used that I never would have dreamed of or imagined. I had one reader, early reader, write back to me and say, and I don't even remember which prayer it was, but it might have been a prayer for when everything seems like it's out of control or something like that. I have several, several prayers of that ilk. Mm -hmm. And she wrote back and said, we are not a special needs family, but I have been praying this prayer as we go back into lockdown restrictions with the pandemic. Yeah. And that really blessed and encouraged me because the verse about God's word going out into the world and not returning void, I feel like if I can be obedient to write what I think God is calling me to write, God is possibly going to use it in ways that I couldn't have even predicted or imagined. So that's exciting to me. I'm excited to see what people are able to take away from this book. That's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, two more things. I do want to ask what we missed that you want to share. But I also wanted to ask, I don't know if you have a copy of your book somewhere handy. Like, is there a prayer that you would want? Because I have one that I like copy and pasted from the the version I got sent, but that you would want to read over us? Oh, my goodness. That is such an excellent question. So I don't know if I can read it without crying because I'm a super crier, everything. That's okay. We welcome crying. Everything makes me cry all the time. Uh, Here's something that I could share that I shared with another interview that I had. The person who was interviewing me was asking about what the process of working on the book was like. Mm -hmm. And I can say, I think without fail, every single time I have worked on the book, every single time I sat down to write, I cried. Wow. (laughs) At least once. Because... Part of it is that I just have a vivid imagination. Mm -hmm. And as I'm writing for these people, most of whom I'll never meet, but I'm praying for them. I'm asking God to be what they need in their day, even just today, right now, Mm -hmm. as I'm writing this prayer. And it's such a privilege that we have to be on this earth, parenting these children, and then to be able to support each other in that work. Mm It often moves me to tears. So that's my caveat. But I thought of this prayer when you asked. I have a prayer for moments of delight. Hmm. God of infinite delight, thank you for the many ways we see your fingerprints on this world. Help us to not lose sight of the joy and delight you created, both in this earth we inhabit and in the beloved children who dwell here. Show us delight in small and unexpected ways, Lord. Catch us by surprise. We are ready and willing to be amazed by you today and always. Amen. Amen. My favorite line is catch us by surprise. And that is something that I wrote just kind of in the zone. I wrote it and then it caught me by surprise. Hmm. 
And I went, that is exactly right. That is my prayer, God, that you would catch us by surprise, that you would surprise us in the beauty of a damp driveway and that Mm -hmm. you would surprise us in an IEP meeting and you would surprise us in all of these unexpected places that you have tucked your special grace. Help us find it. We're ready. Well, I think that's like missing in so many of our Christian walks, right? Is maybe that prayer. God surprises us because he, I think he delights in surprising us. He does. I think absolutely. And that just makes life interesting. You're like, when is God going to show up? What is he going to do? My friends tease me because I love to talk about lanternfish and (laughs) things that bioluminesce, right? Like, Mm. okay, I'm a little quirky myself. Like fireflies? Like like fireflies, exactly. But there are fish that do this too. It's a big word, bioluminesce. Yeah, my husband's a biologist, so some of that rubs off. But there are fish in the bottom of the ocean that light up. They glow. And they have been down there glowing probably for possibly even millennia. And God knew humanity was not going to discover these Hmm. fish until, right? But they've been down there glowing just for God, just Hmm. for God's glory. And I think of God creating them both because they were beautiful and brought joy to God, but also knowing at some point, these people are going to find these Hmm. and they're so cool. So I think I like to remember sometimes Wow, God is ready to catch us with surprise and delight us. That gave me chills. Oh, I love that. Okay, Alrina, thank you so much. I absolutely loved this. Is there anything else? Do we get it all? I think so. I think we got it all. How can people connect with you? So that's, I don't have a good answer to that because I'm not on social media. I'm okay. hard to connect with. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really out there to connect with. But if people want to buy the book, it's at University Press. They can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. I'll link that so people can pre-order and do all that. Well, thank you, Arena, for doing this. It's been an absolute pleasure. I just, I love how God has made you. It has been a delight. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It was such a joy to talk to you. And congratulations on your new little one. Oh, thank you. I want to end today with some more of Elrina's words since they're so beautiful. So she and I are both praying this over you today from her book, from the prayer for grace to keep going. God of grace, be our grace. God of the lost, find us. God of grace, be our grace. God of the broken, heal us. God of the suffering, succor us. God of grace, be our grace today, tomorrow, and evermore. Amen. We'll see you here next week. Thanks for joining us.